School's wrapping up. The sun is shining. The ocean is calling. And for America's health economists, that can only mean one thing. It's time for Ash Econ, baby. Put down that popsicle. Pick up that laser pointer. Today, exciting new research from one of the premier health economics conferences from the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. We're joined by Tradeoff Senior Research Advisor and University of Minnesota Health Economist, Sae Nikpay. Welcome back, Sae. Thanks, Dan. It's nice to see you. And I hear some congratulations are in order. You are officially a tenured professor. Big stuff. Yeah, I guess the news is out of the bag. Thanks so much. It must be a huge relief, and you must be really excited that you're a tenured professor. Very excited and very tired. It's been many years. Very cool. So look, Sae, next week, as you know, is the annual meeting of the American Society of Health Economists, also known as Ash Econ. And we asked you to wade through some of the many, many studies being presented there. Actually, do, do you know how many studies are being presented? Yeah. So I actually asked the organizers for the official count, and it's a whopping 637 new pieces of research. That is astounding. And I hope we did not ruin too many of your weekends with this assignment. Oh, no. Actually, it was just a couple of super long transatlantic flights. So it's all good. It was either reading abstracts or watching Top Gun for nine hours straight. Yes, right. Definitely abstracts, top, Top Gun, 10 times out of 10. So here you are, you've got your papers, you've got your favorite studies. What's what do we start with? Okay, so the first paper is by Mark Meiselbach of Johns Hopkins and Gene Abraham of my very own University of Minnesota. I wasn't trying to stack the deck by picking my own colleague, Dan. It only happened because I cover up the authors of all the abstracts before I review them. The more people from the land of 10,000 legs say, the better. So tell me, what's it all about? Okay, well, lucky for me, it combines a couple of economists' favorite topics, minimum wage laws and employer-sponsored health insurance. Oofta. That was a little Minnesota reference for you there, Sae. Yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> I feel seen. <laughs> uh, but that is a wonky one-two punch right out of the gate. I know, but these issues also affect a ton of people. I mean, more than 150 million of us get health insurance through work, including me, and about one in three workers in the U.S. makes less than $15 an hour. So this study tackles this kind of perennial debate that comes up when states or even Congress consider raising the minimum wage. We have to help our small businesses. You, you How are you helping your small businesses when you're forcing wages? $7.25 an hour is a starvation wage. That's what it is. Ah, yes. The age-old, will higher wages actually be bad for workers debate? Right. And there's actually a puzzle here, Dan, because economic theory tells us that increasing the minimum wage should cause businesses to cut jobs. But loads of real-world data shows us that they actually don't do that. One possibility here is that employers are actually just responding to these laws in some other way than cutting jobs. And this paper shows that, yes, indeed, they are. 
Interesting. So if these companies are not laying people off, say, then how are they, pardon the pun, compensating for this rise in wages? Very good, Dan. Well, what researchers find is that for every $1 a state's minimum wage goes up, we see fewer employers offer health insurance, almost a one percentage point decrease. Got it. So instead of laying people off, these employers are paring back their benefits. Exactly. And not surprisingly, we're more likely to see this reaction at small employers and those with a lot of low-wage workers, precisely the kinds of businesses that are more sensitive to these types of laws and to the price of health insurance. Which I think, last I checked now, costs employers something like $16,000 a year to cover a worker and their family, right? Yeah. Now there is an oofta. <laughs> and among those firms that do still offer health insurance, the study's authors find that they tend to actually raise their deductibles. It's not by a lot, but it's a little. Overall, though, what's heartening is that this paper finds that there's no change in the uninsured rate in states that pass these minimum wage mandates. Wow. So so that means that people some way or another are finding insurance when their boss stops offering it. Say. What in your mind is the big takeaway for policymakers who might be considering a minimum wage hike? Well, there's a lot of good reasons to raise people's pay. I think that's why state policymakers are thinking about this a lot. But if lawmakers do it, they might want to bolster people's insurance options outside of work. That could mean bigger state subsidies in the ACA marketplace or maybe even expanding Medicaid. Sort of help soften the blow for workers whose employers do back out of the insurance game. Yep. Okay, strong first paper, Sae. What's next? Okay, so the second paper is actually about something that I don't think I've ever heard you talk about on trade-offs. It's about cooking. And just to warn you, Dan, it's kind of sad. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm ready. Uh, it's from Thomas Tivion from the Bordeaux School of Economics in France. And in it, Thomas looks at this push that the country of Peru made in 2012 to get more families to stop cooking by burning wood, which is something that a lot of the developing world still relies on. It pollutes the air and it can be dangerous to breathe, especially for kids. So the government started giving away these vouchers to low-income families to buy and cook with a kind of gas called liquefied petroleum instead. Makes sense. Kind of like how we here in the U.S. subsidize cleaner electric cars or solar energy. Right. And these subsidies, they worked like a charm. People were 150 percent more likely to use gas as a result. I'm sensing a but. Yeah, here it is, Dan. Unfortunately, the author finds that this program, a program explicitly designed to improve child health, had these terrible unintended consequences. Babies from families who got these subsidies were actually 15% more likely to die. And between 2010 and 2020, the author estimates this policy might have been responsible for as many as 6,600 extra deaths. That is terrible, Sae. Yeah. And the paper also finds higher rates of respiratory infections in kids and anemia in adult women when these homes switch to gas. So, Sae, this just sounds like the ultimate case of a well-intended policy gone really wrong. Do we have any idea why it went so bad? I mean, I'm guessing that the policymakers were going off some evidence that gas is a cleaner and healthier option. 
Yeah, they did. I mean, this is a policy idea endorsed by the UN and the World Health Organization. The data suggests that biomass cooking, where you burn wood and other stuff, it releases at least 10 times more of this one especially dangerous air-polluting particle compared to gas. So switching seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, Dan, but there is a hitch. And it's that gas also emits some of its own nasty byproducts. And this study basically finds that in designing this policy, Peru focused more on what people were cooking with, not where they were cooking. Before these subsidies arrived, most families cooked outdoors. Got it. So there may have been some bad stuff in the air, but at least it was outside. Exactly. When they started using gas, they were more likely to move their cooking inside. And the study finds this policy's negative effects hit homes with no ventilation inside the hardest. Right. That makes sense. So I guess my last question, Sae, is obviously this study is a good reminder for all policymakers to really think through potential unintended consequences. But are there any more specific takeaways for people here in the U.S.? Yeah, I think there are. Policymakers here are also grappling with this growing body of research around the potential dangers of gas stoves, both for indoor air quality and also for our climate. And dozens of cities in California, New York, and Massachusetts have actually passed bans on gas appliance hookups in new buildings. I'll say for me personally, reading this study was enough to nudge me into talking to my husband, who loves cooking with gas, to consider some non-gas options for our own house. Very good, Sai. Thank you for sharing that surprising and very sobering study. Just one paper left, and we will tackle that after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. We're rejoined by University of Minnesota health economist Sae Nikpay. She is a longtime friend of the pod, and today she's giving us a preview of some exciting new health economics research, papers that will be presented next week at Ash Econ, a major meeting of the country's health economists. So Sae, this year's meeting is in St. Louis, the old gateway to the West. Before we get back to the papers, uh, do you have a piece of trivia or a hot tip to share with people heading there next week? So this isn't a hot tip, and it's actually not really about St. Louis itself. But a fun fact is that I'm actually driving nine hours to Ash in a minivan full of grad students. Good Lord. Then you're going to love my tip because you're going to need it. There is this amazing bar called the Venice Cafe. It is full of the most strange and beautiful things all over the wall. It's got a flowing fountain in the basement, truly a one of a kind watering hole, which is my favorite thing. That sounds great. See you there for a beer next week. I think probably two or three after the last couple of weeks I've been having. Yeah, we might end up in the fountain. <laughs> it is small. Um, okay, so one paper left on your list of faves. What is this one all about, Sally? 
So this one is called How Power Shapes Behavior, Evidence from Physicians. And it's by Stephen Schwab at Baylor University and Vinny Singh, who's newly at Carnegie Mellon University. When you say power, what are you talking about? What kind of power? Power dynamics, Dan, the kind that play out in our lives every day. Those dynamics are especially prevalent in healthcare when you think about it. There are dynamics between doctors and nurses, docs from one specialty versus another. And of course, there's always power dynamics between doctors and patients. And that's the relationship that's at the center of this study. Fascinating. And, and as an economist, I am curious, how do you actually measure something as amorphous as power? It's really difficult. And that's one reason why I picked this study, because the authors did something really creative. They looked for a place where power is more out in the open, making it easier to study. And that place is the military. So the authors took data from the military health system and looked at how the rank of emergency room doctors compared to the rank of their patients. And just to sort of baseline for everybody, in the military, it is possible for a patient to outrank their doctor or vice versa. Yeah, I actually didn't know that, but it is. And since doctors and patients are essentially randomly assigned to each other in the ER, that creates an ideal experimental setup to answer this question. Do doctors care for patients differently given their patient's power status? Okay, and just because there are lots of sort of moving parts, I want to make sure I've got this. These authors are using the differences in military rank as a way to study power dynamics between doctors and patients. And the question, do doctors treat their patients differently if, for example, they're a lieutenant, but their patient is an admiral? That's exactly right. And what the researchers find is that when a patient outranks their doctor, that doctor spends about 5% more resources on that patient. In other words, Higher-powered patients are more likely to get prescribed opioids, to have tests run, and get this, Dan, they're even less likely to end up back in the hospital within 30 days. This is amazing. I mean, this power dynamic has real measurable effects on people's health. Yes. And the researchers also find this thing that we call in economics a spillover effect. When that higher ranking patient shows up in the ER, their doc also spends 2% fewer resources on other low ranked patients. Right. And I'm betting lots of us have felt at one time or another the, the effects of this. So obviously, Sae, there are lots of layers here. And I got to imagine there's more power at play than just a person's rank. Did the authors look at how this interacts with factors like race or gender? Great question, Dan. The researchers do kind of slice and dice the data in a bunch of ways. Here's a couple of top-line findings. White doctors spend more effort on lower-ranking patients who are white than those who are Black. They also find that female doctors treat male patients about the same, regardless of rank. And that female doctors spend more effort overall, even doing more for their lower-ranked patients than male doctors do for their higher-ranking male patients. A lot to chew on with this one paper, and the paper will be linked in the show notes for today's episode and on our website at tradeoffs.org. Just to wrap up here, Sae, I guess I'm wondering how this paper applies to the rest of us because the military is obviously a very specific place, an incredibly unique culture. You're totally right, Dan. This setting is unique. But I think the study adds to the broader literature in a couple of important ways. 
One, it reinforces other research on implicit biases. And implicit biases are basically subconscious assumptions that we have about other people. Right. And the study shows that those invisible biases have real effects on people's healthcare experiences. Second, the paper builds on some other studies suggesting that at least some patients may do better when their provider is the same race or perhaps is similar in other ways. I wonder if people are going to try to recreate this sort of study to try to build off of it. This is this is important, fascinating work. And just in general, Saye, thank you so much for taking us on this tour of some of these papers. It just gives some insight into just what interesting, fascinating, important questions economists like you and your colleagues are asking. So thanks so much and really looking forward to seeing you in St. Louis next week. Thanks, Dan. See you under the arch. I thought we were going to the bar. Oh, yeah, that too. For more information about the papers discussed on today's episode, including a limerick, visit tradeoffs.org. And if you want more recaps of new studies, make sure you're subscribed to our weekly Research Corner newsletter at tradeoffs.org slash research. If you're attending Ash in person, check out our table in the exhibit hall and make sure to check out the plenary session we're doing during lunch on Monday. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Private insurers' growing dominance of the Medicare program has been invisible to most of us. We talk with three people who have witnessed this dramatic evolution up close. The enamored consumer. It's a love affair that has grown over the years. A disillusioned insurance executive. That was the point where I thought, we've just created a corrupt enterprise that's sitting on top of our healthcare system and we should end it. And a worried researcher. What I'm basically afraid of is that we'll chicken out. Join us as we examine the rapid rise of Medicare Advantage in three acts, next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone else about it. Friend, colleague, family member, your favorite health economist. Better still, leave a rating or a review wherever you subscribe to us. NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, we're everywhere. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Alex Olgan, editor Kate Cahan, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, research reporter Soleil Shah, production engineer Cedric Wilson, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Additional thanks this week to David Slusky. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Aaron Fusay-Brown, Aaron Tobin, and Abigail Joseph. Our media partner is Side Effects Public Media, based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Scan Foundation, the Sozose Foundation, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.